This episode is brought to you by Dentons Canada. From startups to industry icons, Dentons acts for a wide variety of companies in both the public and private realms. As the world's largest law firm, Dentons can provide its global reach to your business. Visit Dentons.com for more details. Welcome to The Frontier, a podcast series brought to you by Cap Intel, dedicated to bringing you the latest insights, innovations, and investment philosophies from the professionals who invest your money. Today on the podcast, we have Gordon Martin. The difficulty with investing in private mortgages, which we just talked about, where people like the, the safety and security and they, they like the rate, is that typically it's not a market that is easily accessed by an individual investor. At some point in time, and you know, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not going to you know, pick a date for you, yeah. but at some point in time, we're going to have another bear market. And it's probably sooner than later, just given the length of time that this bull market is run now. Gord brings 22 years of investment industry experience to his role as founder and managing partner of Salernus. Prior to founding Salernus Investment Partners, Gord spent over 10 years with Dundee Wealth in roles that included branch manager, regional manager, investment advisor, portfolio manager, and ultimately Chief Operating Officer of the Retail Division. He holds an Honours in Economics from the University of Waterloo and an MBA from the Simon School at the University of Rochester in the state of New York. As an investment advisor and portfolio manager with Dundee, Gord advised and managed approximately $100 million of client assets. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Good to be here. What is a mortgage-backed security? Uh, Mortgage-backed security is a synthetic uh, investment. So what happens is you have uh, financial institutions, which are issuers of mortgages, uh, which want to essentially raise more capital. And in order to do that, they will take a pool of mortgages and they will put those mortgages into a trust. And then that trust will issue bonds, and those bonds are secured by those mortgages that are in the trust. And then the bondholders receive payments of interest and principal each month as those mortgagors make their payments on those mortgages. So essentially, financial institutions, banks, let's say, um, issue me a mortgage and um, now they've tied up, I don't know, half a million bucks of their cash and they need to use it to redeploy it, maybe give somebody else a mortgage so they can s- sort of sell their mortgage to another firm, get their cash back. Uh, those mortgages get pooled together and then you can actually buy um, a bond where the underlying asset is my mortgage. That's correct. So theoretically, I could pay myself by buying my own mortgage back security. Yeah, essentially, although, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a spread that's taken off that al- along the way. Of course. And typically, these mortgages are uh, all uh, government insured or CMHC, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation insured mortgages. So these uh, mortgage-backed securities tend to trade at roughly about the same yield as you would get on a Government of Canada bond, for example, because you've got that same level of security. So lower risk means they're not right. going to pay quite as much. Exactly. And then what's a mortgage-based mutual fund? 
So there are a few different ways that investors can invest in a pool of mortgages other than a mortgage-backed security. Uh, so there's what's called a, a mortgage investment corporation or what's commonly referred to as a MIC. Um, or there is uh, a mutual fund trust, or sometimes they're done as LPs. But essentially, these are, again, investment vehicles where you're buying a unit like you would in a mutual fund um, or a share if it's a mortgage investment corporation. Uh, and you are then a part owner of that pool of securities. So there are on the mutual fund side, when you're looking at a mutual fund trust, there are a few different types. Uh, you know, if you went on and on the internet and did a search of uh, you know mortgage mutual funds in Canada, you'd find a number of them that are offered through um, you know the larger Schedule A banks, and those uh, you'd find they've had you know relatively low rates of return because they're investing in mortgage-backed securities, and that's what they're doing. Um, but then you also have some mutual fund trusts. Um, which are offered primarily to accredited investors, which invest in private mortgages. And they build their own pool of private mortgages within that mutual fund trust, um, where you're getting you know, higher rates of return, typically anywhere from you know, five to eight or nine percent over the last uh, over the last number of years. And just for our listeners, what would a, like a typical mortgage-backed security yield be right now? Well, right now in Canada, ten-year uh, government of Canada bonds are yielding about one point eight five percent. Okay, and you'd be sort of somewhere in that uh, range, five years or lower. So it would probably be lower than that because most mortgages have a five-year uh, term these days. Mm -hmm. So you'd be looking at something probably in around the one and a half percent range. So, so a much higher potential return with private mortgages. Exactly. And assuming that the difference is because there's no, sorry, because there's a higher risk, um, these aren't uh, backed by the government. Yeah, they're not backed by the government and it's a, it's a different risk profile. So, you know, I think when you're, when you're talking about private mortgages, you know, the question people will ask is, you know, if today I can go uh, to a Schedule A bank and get a five-year mortgage at 2.75%, why would I be going out and getting a private mortgage at 8% with a 2% fee? I'm paying 10% all in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wow, that must be really risky. So, you know, there's a couple of uh, different things to look at and consider in that. Um, when, uh, when you're looking at you know, sort of what's the risk level of the of the mortgage? Uh, we're considering things like what's the value of the underlying security. So in that case, we're using metrics which are which are very similar to what the what the banks are using. The difference is that the borrowers have some sort of an issue which is precluding them from going to the bank. So mm -hmm. they've bruised their credit somehow, or. Uh, like, for example, typically a divorce. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, people, when they're going through a divorce, will have credit issues. Uh, some bills won't get paid. Other things will happen. Um, it could also be uh, someone who's in business for themselves, has been for you know a relatively short period of time, won't qualify at the bank, and need, needs to go elsewhere for funding. So there can be lots of different causes for why somebody... Needs a private uh, needs a private mortgage, and then back at the 
mutual fund context. So just for some more detail, how are these funds structured? Um, how do you buy a mortgage with, with a mutual fund? And why would a creditor sell a mortgage? So in, in, in the case of a mutual fund trust, um, you know, there's a portfolio manager and an investment fund manager, um, which is the role that we play with the Salernus Mortgage and Income Trust. So we are an investor in private mortgages. So we work with a variety of mortgage brokers and mortgage administrators uh, who are all licensed through the Financial Services Commission, uh, FISCO. Um, and so when a, a person is looking for a private mortgage, they're typically talking to a mortgage broker. And then that mortgage broker is looking for an investor who will invest in that particular mortgage. So we have a network of uh, mortgage brokers and mortgage administrators, and they will come to us and say, you know, we have this particular mortgage that uh, we're underwriting. Um, if we originate this mortgage, would you invest in it? And so that's the sort of process by which uh, a mortgage ends up in our fund. Okay, so compared to a mortgage-backed security, right. you're closer, you're more like the bank in that circumstance before it gets syndicated and pooled and sold off. Right. So, so the difference is that you know, the bank is using their capital, making the, doing the underwriting, originating a whole series of mortgages, taking that mortgage pool, transferring it to a trust, and issuing the mortgage-backed securities from the trust. Whereas our investors are buying units of our fund and we're using the money that they've invested in our fund to then invest in a portfolio of private mortgages. And then why would someone invest in a mortgage? So mortgages have uh, a lot of advantages. So um, the main two that, that people are looking for when they're uh, investing in a private mortgage is... Um, security. So you're you're investing in something which is backed by a physical asset. Mm -hmm. You know uh, whether it's whether it's just land or it's land in a building, home, commercial building, whatever the case may be. Um, you're getting that level of security. Um, and then second is obviously rate. I mean, if looking uh, looking today at uh, you know GIC rates, for example. Um, if you wanted to buy a you know five-year GIC from the bank, posted rate right now is probably about 1.6%. Uh, if you wanted to go to a second-tier institution, you'd be probably somewhere in the uh, two and a quarter to three percent range, depending on on where you went. So, you know, on a private mortgage, people will be looking at you know anything from you know a seven to you know if they're getting into a second mortgage, could be as high as 12, 13, 14 percent. So. People are, are generally looking for that combination of security backed by a physical asset with uh, an interest rate that's attractive. So a nice alternative that has something underlying it, whereas you know certain stocks, for example, sentiment can play into it. Here you at least have a floor, which is the value of the house or the land. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Can you walk through some of the benefits and drawbacks of investing in a mortgage-based mutual fund? Sure. So... 
the difficulty with investing in private mortgages, which we just talked about, where people like the the safety and security and they, they like the rate, is that um, typically uh, it's not a market that is easily accessed by an individual investor. And even if they are, if they have, you know, uh, say a half a million dollars to invest, they're maybe going to invest in one or two mortgages. So by investing in a fund, um, you have easy access, uh, you have simplicity, very easy to do. Um, the big benefit is really diversification. So, you know, if I've got $150,000 to invest, I could maybe find one or two mortgages. I have to do the homework and the research myself. Mm -hmm. um, and if something goes wrong, I may get my money back, but the time in the time it takes for me to get my money back, I may be foregoing my interest payments, right? So yeah. if I'm if I'm looking at investing for income and there's an issue, I may have a period of time where I'm no longer receiving that income. Whereas if I put it into a fund and I've got a portfolio of 75 or 100 mortgages, if there's, you know, five mortgages in there where there's a where there's a default, and something has to be done to try and realize and, and get your capital back, you're still receiving your interest payments because there are 70 other mortgages that are paying their interest every month while it happens. And if there happens to be a loss, which can happen from time to time, mm -hmm. then you're really well diversified and your loss is going to be very small. Whereas if you've got two $75,000 mortgages and you experience a loss of 50% on one of them, you know, that's a significant hit to take on $150,000 that you've got invested. Uh, so those th that's really the, the big reason to look at investing in a, in a pooled product like a, a mutual fund trust as opposed to, you know, buying an ind or investing in an individual mortgage or a few individual mortgages on your own. Yeah, so really you're outsourcing both time with regards to researching, finding, sourcing the, 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 the mortgages themselves. There's also the judgment part that you're you're getting rid of those people who are professionally exactly. doing this, and then finally you're buying into sort of the uh, diversification and the inherent diversification. I think it's an interesting point just to touch on diversifying quickly. Um, we've spoken to a lot of different portfolio managers investing potentially in equities, let's say, um, whereas. You know, they talk about diversity, global diversity, or diversity within an industry. Um, this just shows that diversity in general is a really positive thing for any portfolio because even in this, you know, you want to be diversified so that you're spreading any burn that potentially happens, any loss that potentially happens over a much wider pool as opposed to being very focused and losing, let's say, 50% of, of one of your um, two mortgages and then you're down, probably not able to make that money back anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly uh, the right way to think about it. And, you know, the diversification, you know, there's a couple different kinds of risks that you're trying to diversify for. So, um, you know, within within the mutual fund trust, what you're really diversifying is that property specific risk, right? Or, or more, probably a better way to look at it is there's two things there, the property specific risk and the borrower specific risk mm -hmm. um, in the event that you have a borrower who uh, who can't pay. At Salernus, you manage a number of funds. Specifically, I wanted to ask you about the Salernus Mortgage and Income Trust Fund. Why did you choose to manage this fund? In other words, why invest in mortgages and other debt 
as a fund? Yeah, so we've been managing this fund for uh, about four and a half years now. Um, it's done uh, tremendously well. And about, I'd say, five and a half years ago, uh, we were looking at the marketplace. Um, interest rates were still quite low, uh, had been low for a while. We expected them to remain low. And we were looking at it saying, how are we going to uh, achieve the desired return uh, level that our clients need and yet still manage risk? And, you know, when we're looking at it and saying, you know, you had uh, 10-year bond rates that were, you know, down below 1%, um, it just... The, the typical, you know, 60% equity, 40% fixed income portfolio that people, you know, were sort of used to just wasn't going to do the job. So we started looking at alternatives uh, where we could have something that was relatively secure, uh, but with a, with a better yield. And that's when uh, we decided that uh, we'd look at structuring a product that took advantage of the the private mortgage market for exactly that purpose. Do you focus your mortgages in sort of one particular market or is it spread over Canada or over a larger region? Uh, our fund were uh, focused in uh, southern Ontario and uh, in Quebec. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason for that is we're here in southern Ontario and we're able to uh, know this market uh, very, very well and understand it. And uh, in Quebec, we have some very good partners who are really well experienced in that particular marketplace who, who we rely on uh, in, that, uh, in that area. So within this, people talk a lot in, in Ontario specifically about there being a potential real estate bubble. People talked about it forever now, uh, market slowing, et cetera. There's a lot of um, you know discussion about it right now. Do you sort of try to jump into a bubble if there is one? Um, do you believe there's a potential bubble or do you try to stay away from it? So particularly in an Ontario perspective, it's really sort of, to my knowledge, focused quite much in the greater Toronto area, the GTA. Are you trying to dive around that or is that something that's prime for this kind of uh, mutual fund? So it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, and it's something that we really started hearing from investors about. I would say around January, February of last year. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd had a, you, we've had a property market that's you know been you know pretty steadily on the rise for the last four or five years, and in in 2016 uh, it was up pretty strongly, and that continued through into sort of March, April of uh, 2017. And, you know, some people started getting nervous about sort of property values. So there's two um, key things to think about with regard to this. Um, when we're making a loan, uh, the big question we ask is, how are we going to get our money back? And if for some reason the uh, mortgagor isn't able to pay us, how are we going to realize on our security? So we use something that's common in the industry called loan to value, uh, usually here called LTV, loan to value. Um, so if a property is appraised for $500,000 and we have a $300,000 mortgage, 
that's a 60% loan to value. Mm. What rising prices do is uh, typically we'll have uh, a portion of the portfolio um, which matures. And when something matures, either we get we get paid out, they refinance, they've sold the property, they do whatever, or we'll renew them for another term on the mortgage. Now, all our terms that we do are one year. So that means that every month we have more of these properties maturing. And the ones that uh, renew are uh, for the same amount as what they were previously. So when you get a rising market, you have a mortgage that we initially wrote and invested in uh, where the loan to value was, say, 75%. Mm. But that was a year ago and the market's up 10%. Now we're at you know a 67% loan to value. So that rising prices has actually made uh, our portfolio more safe than it was a year ago. So, you know, we have to explain to people that, you know, rising prices are a good thing for us. Where we have to be cautious at that point is with uh, where we're writing our mortgages today. So yeah. new mortgages that, that are coming through the door today that we're choosing to invest in, we have to, you know, be cautious. So where in 2016 um, in the Ontario marketplace, we would set a maximum loan to value of 80, 80%. That's not to say every mortgage is at 80%, mm -hmm. but the very most we would ever write on a, uh, you know, a, an ideal borrower and an ideal piece of property would be 80%. Um, you know, we made the assessment that maybe things were a little bit toppish and we dialed that back to 75% in, in December of, uh, of 2016. And that was the metric that we've used all this year. And of course, that's exactly what we saw. Prices continue to rise into March, April of 2017. And then since then, we've seen them sort of pull back a little bit, depending on what marketplace you're in. You know, we really started to get a little bit concerned last winter or fall when we saw sort of the, the bidding wars that were going on in the GTA area extend outside of the GTA. So... You know, when we uh, when we got a uh, an application in from you know a bedroom community to Kitchener Waterloo, and it's a new buy, and you know the house had been listed for six forty and sold for seven twenty mm. um, in a bidding war, and we're thinking this is in you know small town uh, Ontario bedroom community commuting into Kitchener Waterloo. It's a bit of a sign that maybe things are getting a little bit uh, toppish on you. And so, you know, we we're pretty comfortable. So, so that's a mortgage that we didn't write. We did not invest in. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we we're, we get a little bit more selective about what we invest in. And, you know, we manage what sort of that LTV that we're willing to invest at looks like. I know we've touched on a bit of this, uh, especially getting paid back as your main goal when you're evaluating a mortgage for investment. But can you walk us through some of the other aspects you look at when evaluating a mortgage for investment? We're looking at the credit quality of the borrower and their ability to pay. Um, we really care about what's the exit strategy. So what at the end of the term of the mortgage, how are we getting paid back? And we want to understand that. So, you know, if if it's a client who has Bruce credit, for example, we want to understand how it is that their credit 
is going to look better a year from now than it does today. So that's what caused them to be in the situation that they're in now. How is this going to fix that situation? Because we want them to be able to refi out at the end of 12 months to a B lender or, or even hopefully an A lender. Um, and then there's also rate and term. Uh, so we're looking at, you know, are we getting paid appropriately for the risk that we're taking? And everything we do is 12 months or, or less. So, you know, we really, really like doing, you know, some shorter bridge kind of stuff that three months, six months um, can be really profitable for us. So if there's something where we can see a short exit strategy, that's uh, that's a positive. And a three or six month mortgage would look like, I guess, you're giving the loan of, of sort of the payments of the mortgage for, for a different bank. Are you writing? How does that work? Like how much are people really taking on as debt? So in typically these are bridge type situations, right? So um, we saw a lot of this this summer um, where, uh, you know, a person had gone out and purchased a new home before they'd sold their existing home. And then the market sort of started to come off in price a little bit. And they were hesitant about lowering their price and dropping their price. And suddenly closing time comes and the bank doesn't want to give them a mortgage on two homes. So we'll provide them the mortgage to buy the new home. We'll also take a blanket second position on their existing home. And then when the existing house gets sold, then they're able to refinance the home that they just bought through the bank and we get paid out. So it's a really nice situation where we can earn a good rate, we can earn our fees, and you know we're we're only in for three or six months, so we've got lots of collateral because we're first position on one home and second position on the other. So that would be the example of those kinds of things that that happen. Sometimes uh, it'll be somebody who's got a little bit of debt that they need to clean up, and their uh, their term will be coming up in you know six or nine months or something on their first, and so they'll take a second with us for that period of time and then they'll refi it all into the first when the when the first comes up for renewal on the other side. So there's lots of different ways that that can happen. Why do you have a positive outlook on this approach? Why continue to invest with it as a focus? Are people going to continue needing these kind of bridge style mortgages? Has this been something that's sort of a new trend or has it been a pretty steady state for a while? What does that look like? Um, we're expecting that over the coming year, uh, demand for private mortgages is only going to increase. So the government has taken steps over the last uh, couple of years to try and cool off what's been a really hot mortgage market, um, including, you know, causing, uh, you know, banks in January to have to start stress testing uh, every uh, mortgagor comes in for, uh, for a mortgage and fewer people are going to qualify through uh, the primary financial ins institutions. Uh, and that's going to create an expansion of the market, which uh, really helps us because it means that we've got more mortgages to choose from, what we're going to invest in, which means we're able to sort of raise the quality and the return of what, uh, of what we're investing in. So we're quite optimistic about uh, the next uh, 12 to 24 months in terms of the supply of mortgages for us to invest in. Do you think you're going to have to sort of increase your general mortgage length to try to fill that void that's being created? Uh, no, I don't expect so. 
what we may have to look at is, again, this affects what I was talking about earlier in terms of exit strategy. So if our exit strategy in the past was we're going to refi out to uh, a B lender or an A lender, um, and when I, I say that, I should probably qualify for people so that they understand what I'm talking about. A lenders are sort of the Schedule A banks that, you know, the large big six banks that, that people know. Schedule B lenders tend to be the home trusts, equitable trusts, those sorts of, uh, those sorts of lenders. Um, that if, uh, if people are going to find it harder to qualify there, then we have to be a little bit more careful about what our exit strategy is going to look like. Based on my understanding, real estate prices and interest rates would affect the performance of your fund. In that context, what do you think some of the primary threats and opportunities to real estate prices and interest rates in Canada in the near term? Um, So on the interest rate side, um, we're not overly concerned about rising rates. Uh, I mean, our general outlook is for rates to rise over the coming probably 12 to 36 months, um, but not for them to rise really substantially. Um, You know, right now, if you look at, you know, sort of comparable 10-year bond rates, uh, you know, we're running about 1.85% here in Canada. We're running about 2.4% in the U.S., but then when you look, you know, overseas, you've got the German bond at 0.3%. Uh, Italy at 1.77. Uh, you know, if you can imagine from a credit quality standpoint, you're getting you know 70 basis points less for you know Italy than you are for the United States of America. It doesn't really make sense from a credit quality standpoint. Um, but that's because of where growth rates are, and uh, although you know global growth is starting to pick up. It's uh, it's still uh, not at the level that's really driving inflation or, or driving rates up. So, I think you know everybody's outlook right now is for rates to to rise, but not that substantially. Mm-hmm. On the on the housing front, in terms of uh, in terms of market prices, uh, we've had a pretty steady rise. Uh, you know, coming out of you know, the, re- the recession of 2007, 2008, um, and the housing bubble in the U.S., which we weren't as affected by here to, to nearly the same degree, obviously. Um, we've had pretty constant increase in, in home prices uh, until this spring um, when things finally started to sort of cool off a, a little bit. Um, so the major driver tends to be uh, economic growth. So without a recession, we don't really expect uh, any major decline in housing prices. Uh, but we also expect that things aren't going to be sort of rocketing up either because you've got a little bit of pressure from rising interest rates and a little bit of pressure from uh, government regulation and the attempt to sort of slow the market and ensure that we don't have a bubble. So for that reason, we're sort of looking at a market where we expect things to remain relatively stable over the coming uh, over the coming months. Um, certainly since about mid-September, we've sort of seen things sort of start to level uh, level off. Um, we're still using caution. We're still maintaining 
our 75% maximum loan to value. So we haven't said, okay, things have come off, you know, eight or 10%. We're going to go back up to 80% now. Uh, we're still being, we're still being relatively, uh, relatively cautious, but we're not expecting any, uh, any major shocks unless we, uh, we see the economy start to start to turn. And we haven't seen that at all, um, in any of the, any of the numbers. Do you think that's reflective too in the in the longer run? I mean, we talk about up to thirty six months. Um, beyond that, do we do we know? Uh, yeah, I mean, trying to trying to predict out longer than that is uh, is is pretty pretty difficult, and not something that I'd I'd want to try and do. But um, when we look at you know whether it's whether you're looking at uh, at GDP or you're looking at employment numbers. Uh, you're looking at inflation and interest rates. Everything right now seems to be relatively, uh, relatively stable. Describe the ideal investor for a debt-based fund in your mind. Um, yeah, so for for debt-based fund, I, I think that uh, it makes sense to have it as a portion of the portfolio for diversification purposes uh, for a lot of different types of investors. But uh, the key characteristics of the fund uh, funds tend to be, you know, steady income. Whether it's on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis with mortgage funds, it tends to be monthly because that's how uh, you know homeowners and people pay their mortgages. So uh, anybody looking for steady, regular income and trying to manage uh, volatility uh, in their portfolio because. They, uh, you know, it's not like the stock market where it goes up and down every day. You invest in a mortgage for a hundred thousand dollars; it's, you know, worth a hundred thousand unless for some reason you can't uh, realize on your security if you have to. So, they stay very, very steady in terms of uh, where their price is, and uh, they give the advantage of uh, regular monthly income. Part of our goal in the frontier is to educate investors. Specifically, it's about speaking with professional money managers to try to give them some of the lessons that you've learned doing this professionally for some time. What are some of the challenges facing retail investors in today's markets? You know, my, my big concern in, in the market right now is that um, memories tend to be short. Um, you know, 2008, uh, when we had the, the housing bubble hit in the U.S. and, you know, we had markets down, you know, in the neighborhood of 50 percent on the equity side and investors endured an awful lot of pain. Um, that's almost 10 years ago now. And people are starting to forget. They have, it, was, it was pretty painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people haven't totally forgotten. Uh, but uh, we're now into one of the longest bull cycles in uh, the equity market that we've experienced. And, you know, for the last year, uh, the market has climbed a bit of a wall of worry. Um, and, you know, that's what typically tends to, tends to happen. At some point in time, and, you know, I'm I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not going to, you know, pick a date for you. Yeah. But at some point in time, we're going to have another bear market. 
And it's probably sooner than later, just given the length of time that this bull market is run now. And the valuation that we're uh, that we're sitting at is, you know, relatively high on a historic basis. Um, when you look at charts and other things, it looks a lot like uh, 1998, 1999. Uh, so for those who remember 2000, 2001, weren't, weren't a whole lot of fun for uh, for a lot of investors, and particularly if you were in the in the technology sector. So. We think that uh, it's it's a good time to be just a little bit cautious on uh, equity holder on your equity holdings uh, for investors, um, and uh, we're you know sort of counseling everybody in in that way. That's great advice. To learn more about the Salernus Mortgage and Income Trust Fund, please visit salernus.com/salernusfunds. This episode is brought to you by Capintel, a fund analytics company helping investment professionals select the top performing funds for their clients. Industry experts nationwide trust Capintel to make better decisions faster. Find out why at capintel.ca.